uh, Crenshaw and about, I don't know, 53 or so uh, high school students are skiing this weekend in Winter Place, West Virginia. They're, they're roughing it for Jesus on the slopes. Um, and I'm just glad you guys are here because it's like a holiday weekend and so many people are out for school. And I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm glad that you guys are here today. Um, we are going to look at three different uh, scriptures this morning as we are in the second week of our series called Toxic Theology. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, I want to tell you where we're going to be so you can go ahead and mark them and we can get there. We're going to be in Hosea in the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 4. Then we're going to be in John 14, and then we're going to be in Romans 1. Hosea 4, John 14, Romans 1. I'm not telling you the verses yet because that way it still leaves a little mysterious before we get there. Um, but so we're in, in this series called Toxic Theology. Here, here's the deal. So we're, the, the word theology in and of itself, I said this last week, but I thought it'd be good for those that weren't here last week and just a refresher, is the word theology is the word theos means God, right? It, it means God and logos means word. So when we talk about theology, we're talking about the word of God or the study of the word of God. And I mentioned last week that sometimes we, we talk about, oh, they're, they're, a really, they're a theologian. And, but the reality is that if you read God's word, you're a theologian. So, so the theology is the study of or the, the understanding of God's word, the word about God or the study of God. Now, toxic theology. So here's the definition we had for a toxin. What, is a to- what makes something toxic? What makes it? And, and we came up with this definition, a poisonous substance causing illness or disease when introduced into the body. Um, an animal, a person, a living thing, a body of water, anything like that. A poisonous substance that when it's introduced into the body, it can cause illness or disease. And so those are real definitions, didn't make those up, but we took those and we said, okay, so then what's toxic theology? And here was our definition of toxic theology. It is a false teaching about things of God, right, theology, or a bad practice in the name of God that causes spiritual illness. So it's like introducing something that is unhealthy into the, the life of the church or the, or the study of God, and it could create this toxic theology. And, and I don't know if you recall, but last week I said as, as much as we would like to go, yeah, and that's toxic, and they're toxic, and that person, that really where we should all first start is to look at ourselves, and go, have I allowed some, some toxic theology to kind of enter into my own life, into my own understanding of who God is? Um, have I allowed um, a teaching or just my own, just doing it on my own, just kind of reading this stuff? I've, I've taken this on. And that's really the challenge. And it's where I want us to make sure that we, we start from today, that we're not pointing fingers outward before we first start to look inward at ourselves. So here's what we're doing, and I, I said this last week, is that we're going to be looking at some isms over the next few weeks, these isms that have to do with toxic theology. And today, we're going to look at two, or some cousins, two cousins of sub- relativism and subjectivism. They're, they're very close cousins. They they're, they're, can be kind of similar. So we put them together, relativism and subjectivism. And just see if you, we'll start with uh, talking about relativism first. See if some of these statements might sound familiar to you. Maybe you've said them or you've thought them or you've heard someone say them. Something like, what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. Or, I'm just living my own truth. Okay. 
Or this one, it just, I mean, it, it seems so when you look at it on paper, I, you know, I'm going, oh, what is this? But it's true. Here's the thing. See if you've heard this before. God is whoever or whatever you define him, her, it to be. Relativism. And it's a toxic theology. So here, me and my definitions, here's our definition of relativism. Not mine, I didn't make it up. Okay, it's this. It's the doctrine that knowledge Truth and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. So, I mean, notice with relativism, so this is where it gets kind of sneaky, right? Because it's not denying that knowledge, truth, and morality exist. It's not saying, no, no, none of those things. No, they, they acknowledge they exist, but the definition of relativism is, but they only re- exist in relation to the culture around us, the society around us, and historical context, and they're not absolutes. That means they change. So, so relativism would say that there's no such thing as an absolute truth, which to me is a little bit ironic because sometimes what you'll find is people who will, they will say they absolutely believe that there's no absolute truth. <laughs> truth for someone who, who uh, would practice relativism or who's functioning with relativism. And, and remember what I said, I, how many of us are going, oh, some of this kind of is in my life, in, in my thinking, in my worldview. Relativism would say, well, there, there's, just, there's no absolute truth. That, that truth evolves constantly. That, that truth changes as time changes. That, that it's a sliding scale, truth is. And, you know, so someone say, well, what was once true is, is not true today. And that's how, that's how relativism looks. Now, in the fourth chapter of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he was sent to speak to God's people. He was asked to do some things that were... Really, I, go read the book of Hosea. It's, it's not that long of a book. My goodness. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and so God's people have lost sight of the truth to the extent that, actually, God compares his people, his beloved people, his chosen people, his people he has done so much for, he compares them to a prostitute. This, this is how bad it's become. And so this is what God says through the prophet Hosea, verse 1 of Hosea chapter 4. He says, hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. So you know they're God's people. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. And then listen to this. There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. Now, the way this is written, the way it is said, it's not saying that there's no such thing as truth. It's saying that, that no one is, is, is uh, recognizing truth. Uh, when it says that there's no uh, knowledge of God in the land, it doesn't mean that, that no knowledge had been presented or offered or was available. It's that no one recognized. No one was living in the knowledge of. So this was Hosea speaking on behalf of God to the people of God, saying there's no truth here. There's no, there's no faithful love here. There's no knowledge of God here. And if you notice in this, in this verse that truth and, and love, they, what do they do? They go hand in hand with the knowledge of God. So you think about that, it's, like it's, in, it's in knowing God and having a working knowledge of him, his ways, his word. We just did that, that series in the Bible. It's why we understand this, that that's how we know the truth. 
That's how we know what God's love is. And here's the, the best news, because if we just left it here with Hosea 4.1, it's kind of like, wow, we're in trouble. <laughs> There's good news. There's good news, because see, God has given us not just the spoken, hey, uh, I want you to be my people, and, and I want you to obey my laws, and I want you to follow uh, my commands, and, and I want you to make these sacrifices. I mean, that would have been enough that the God of the universe would, would speak those things to us, but he went a step, many steps further, I guess you could say. Because what he did is he's given us the living definition of truth. He's given us the living definition of truth in John chapter 14. In the Gospel of John, John records this of Jesus speaking, and he says in verse 6, Jesus declaring this, it's a, it's a well-known verse, you've heard it, you've, you've heard me say it. it, it's one that's been around, but listen to what Jesus proclaims about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. And that verse right there on its own speaks against every ism that's out there that tries to declare or define God to be something that he is not. Jesus says, no, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and you cannot go to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way, and these isms in this toxic theology actually question whether Jesus is the only way. And I know that for, you know, I like to do the little history thing every now and then, that we might go, yeah, probably back in the day there were people that really just didn't, didn't believe, but this is happening now. This is going on now. This is going on in churches now. This is going on in mainline denominations now. This is happening. So relativism says there is no absolute truth. Jesus says, oh, I'm the truth, absolutely. <laughs> now, subjectivism. Subjectivism, the definition is this. It's the doctrine that an individual's feelings determine what is good and right. A, 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 an my feelings tell me, oh, that's good. Then that must be right. That's subjectivism. It's that assumption that we determine what is right and wrong without submitting that judgment to another authority outside of ourselves to speak into our lives. And, I, and as much as relativism kind of hits close to home, I think... Many of us probably have some, some little bit of subjectivism that happens in our life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe, maybe it's just ignorance. I don't know. But I think, I know, I'm speaking about myself here, that, that I could see how subjectivism could make its way in. To go, no, Shannon, you know what's right. You know what's good. You go that way. And not be open to the outside source of who God is. Or even someone who might be wiser speak into my life. So subjectivism is that assumption that whatever I determine to be right is right, and what I determine to be wrong is wrong, and, and everyone else should align with me. But you see how that creates a problem? Because you have your version, and then there's the other version, and you got yours, and you got yours, and, and you see how this causes a problem? When we look back in Hosea, in light of subjectivism, 
what we find is that God is declaring through his prophet that there is a knowledge of God, but people aren't following it. They're not learning it. They're not submitting to it. They're not receiving it. Subjectivism. So, if we wanted to do a little combination here with these two isms, someone who's, who could be lured into or maybe even fully functioning with relativism and subjectivism as part of their, their worldview and their thinking, they could end up with something like this. That there is no absolute truth. Relativism. You can't impose your beliefs on me. I'm the source of truth. I'll determine if my actions are right or wrong based on how I feel. Subjectivism. And friends, that just seems to describe... I, I, I can... When I read that, because I wrote that, but I mean, I, I pictured myself. And I, and I pictured myself, yes, before I became a believer, like in my early 20s for sure. But I, I, I've already confessed this to you, but I see how this can creep into my life. So these, these, these kinds of thoughts, these kinds of of comments or sayings that we have, like if it feels good, it just it must be true. Or as long as it makes me happy, then that's all that matters. Or it doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm sincerely passionate about it. And, and I, I do want to say this. I, I want to be as plain as I can be. I don't want us to miss this, but just because someone is sincere or just because someone is passionate, it doesn't make what they believe to be true. I can sincerely and passionately believe that gravity does not exist. But friends, my feet are on the ground right now. Right? So the point of that is that sincerity and passion do not equal truth. And yet we live in a world, in a culture that is constantly telling us that sincerity and passion equal truth. You know, I said that, that you would think that, okay, yeah, this probably happened a long time ago. I understand why that would have been going on because people were more ignorant back then. and They didn't have all the information like we do today and we're all's well. But even in the denomination that we're a part of, the United Methodist Church, we have been battling truth for 53 years. Do you know how old the United Methodist Church is? 53 years old. <laughs> At their merger, they didn't have an agreement theologically. It's the United Brethren Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church, and they joined together and became the United Methodist Church. And from their beginning, they were not quite seeing eye to eye. Listen, and I, it embarrasses me to say it, but before I go calling out somebody else's denomination, I'll start with my own. There are seminaries, there are pastors, there are denominational leaders, there are bishops who oversee entire conferences who question if Jesus was really the Son of God. Yeah, I, yeah, I said that right. I'm not saying it's right. What you heard me right? Questioning. If Jesus is the Son of God, it, questioning if heaven is real, if hell is real, 
If salvation, the forgiveness of our sins through the atonement of Jesus Christ, paying for our sins, if that's actually necessary for us to have eternal life with God. Questioned. I mean, the United Methodist Church has, has governing policies, scripturally based, that are blatantly ignored about how to carry out the life of the faith. And, and it's not just the United Methodist Church, but like I said, I was going to start with us before I went anywhere else, and I'm not going to... There are several other denominations, even, and I would offer this one, even in the Baptist churches, there, there are these questions. And I know you're going, really? Like, I, uh, yeah. Why? Because there is toxic theology. And if we're not careful, we become a, a student of toxic theology. We become a, a we, we're someone who starts to receive toxic theology. And listen, you can, you can go and find any information about anything you want and to support and uphold anything you want to believe. We talked about that last week. So if you want to believe that gravity doesn't exist, I'm sure you can go and find it. Find somebody somewhere online that'll, that'll be like, yep, I'm right there with you. It's, it's just there. It, so toxic theology is real. And, and this is, is so real, and I think it's so prevalent, and I think it's, it's boiling to the point, especially in our denomination, that it's becoming like we, we've got to do something about it. I've asked my uh, ministry colleague and friend, Jimmy Towson from Park Avenue, to come and be with us on a Tuesday evening on February 22nd, so not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, um, to come and be with us and, and just kind of share. He's been going around to churches and, and uh, conferences and, or having conferences and meetings um, for about a year now, talking to churches about, about what's going on and, and what can we do, what is the possible future for orthodox, conservative, theological thinking people, doctrinally people, um, and so he's going to come at 6 o'clock on the 22nd, yep, um, and be here. And anyone is welcome to come and be a part of that. He'll be able to do a little Q&A with him as well. Um, but just, just to talk about it, this is something that is important for us to look at. I really encourage you to, to be here for that. It's going to be an important meeting. It'll be an informative uh, time together as well. Listen to this. Listen. Jesus came to testify to truth. This is what this is about. Jesus came to testify to truth. And I, I'll just say it. We have an enemy. His name's Satan. I'd rather just say enemy because I don't even like to say his name. But like, so we have an enemy, and, and, he, and this is what he knows about us. That if he can just, you know, lure us off even just one step off of the path of righteousness, the path of truth that we find in Jesus Christ. If he can get us one step off of that path, right? And then I continue in that direction, just one step off for years. I turn around and guess what? I'm nowhere near the path, the path that God has for me. Does that make sense? I mean, one step off and it, it, it takes us. In a direction we never intended to go. Toxic theology can take us, because it's got that word theology in it, so it's got to be good, right? Okay. And next thing we know, we are off the path. We are not going in the direction that God intended for us to go. 
what happens is, is that we have this enemy and what he wants us to do, just boiling it down as we look at Romans chapter 1, is he wants us to exchange God's truth for a lie. And, and the brutal truth of it is seen here in Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. Again, I encourage you to go read this whole passage later, but I'm going to offer about six or seven verses out of Romans 1. Because this is what it says. This is, this is that, one, that one step off of the path. This is toxic theology right here happening. But God shows his anger, verse 18, from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See, this is about truth. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. I mean, you look at creation. I mean, it's, it's there is what is being said here. Verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Why? Toxic theology. And then listen to this verse, uh, end of verse 21. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Friends, absent of, of the truth of God found in his word, you are going to come up with foolish ideas of what God is like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And that's why, I mean, that's scriptural, right? Their minds became dark and confused. That's why when I stand here and go, there are people in my own denomination who are asking if Jesus is even really like the son of God. And you go, that's, that's weird. Yeah, that's dark and confusing is what that is. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. And then Paul writes, amen. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Friends, relativism trades God's truth for a lie. Subjectivism trades God's truth for a lie. What is truth? Truth is not a what. Truth is a who. Truth is a person. Truth is a living person. Truth is alive. Truth is resurrected. Truth is not a philosophy. It's not a mindset. Truth is not just an idea. It's not a statement. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the truth. And if you are hearing me talk today and you're going, man, have, have I kind of gone over here in, in, in subjectivism and been like, well, whatever I determine to be true is really true. Have, have I gone over here in relativism? Like, well, you know, truth changes over time because, you know, it just, it does. And everyone else seems to be cool with it now. So I guess it's, you know, like, are, are you there? Is that how you think about things? Jesus is the truth. Read his words. Understand him. I want to read 14, John 14, 6 again. Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Toxic theology are things like relativism and subjectivism, and, and if we don't check those things, then, then they're, they're probably influencing how we view God, how we view others, how we view the church. 
how we view our importance of sharing the truth of God with other people. So what in the world could even begin to be the antidote to subjectivism and relativism in this toxic theology? What can we do? First place we start. First place we start is to desire God's truth. Don't design your own truth. Desire God's truth. Don't try to design your own truth. Don't try to do that. And listen, the desire to design your own truth is not a new thing. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. It goes all that, like Adam and Eve, all that way back. We can, we can insist that it's our right to decide what's good, even though we've been told what we should and should not do. And by doing so, when we do that, we, we place ourselves in the audacious, <laughs> audacious position of defining truth. The, the, just the audacious position of saying, oh, no, no, I'm going to define truth. I know you told me what, you, what, what you, you said, God, whatever that was, but I'm going to define it instead. But we're not the creators of truth. We're, we're the creation of truth. So we resist the temptation to define our own reality. We, we hold tight to God's truth found in his word. And I will say this, and I, and I mean it. True followers of Christ believe that God is the true and the faithful one. That there is no other. So we should be consumed with him. We should be consumed with his truth. Not, not with our own. Toxic theology. It's real, it's around us, it's probably influencing us. And friends, we need to be aware of it. Let's pray together as we end our time uh, in worship. And I, and I just hope you've been challenged by this. Let, let us pray together. God, I pray that you would awaken us. I, I pray that you would awaken us, your people, that you would awaken us by your word, that your truth would be so evident and real in us that, that yes, it might convict us. It might show us where, where we have been wandering off that path. God, would you bring us back to where we should be following after you? Not going our own way, making our own way, but following after you. Lord, awaken us. Awaken your church. Pour out a renewed sense of revival on us, God. A desire for your word. A desire for your truth. A desire for repentance and confession and reconciliation. God, would you pour that out on us? God, may every toxic theology that we have, we have allowed to influence us, God, would you just allow those strongholds, that, that work of the enemy, to just crumble, just, just fall? God, above all things, Instead of pointing fingers and wanting to make it somebody else's problem and issue and fault, God, would we desire your truth? That we would desire your truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray, we sing, we respond to you now. 
because of truth found in Jesus Christ. Amen.